Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we do. I turn our eyes upon you and pray that you would teach us, Lord. Teach us because we're a people that really need the knowledge of God. And so, Lord, do instruct us and guide us with your eye now as we study a word in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis 42, verse 25, 42, 25. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and restore every man's money into his sack, to give them provision and to give them provision for the way. I just want to stop there a little bit and just point out that he gave them their corn and he also gave them provision for the way, which we'll come to in a minute. That means provision for them and their animals, okay? Uh, Thus did he unto them. They laid their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn, he espied his money, and behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it's even in my sack. And their heart failed them. They were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? They came unto Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, told them all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the lord of the country, the lord of the land, spake roughly unto us and took us for spies of the country. We said unto him, we are true men. We are no spies. We be 12 brethren. I know you can't read it without just like falling off your chair, but okay. We are true men. We are no spies. We be 12 sons of our father. One is not. The youngest is this day with our father in land of Canaan. The man, the Lord of the country said unto us, hereby shall I know that you are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me and take food of the famine of your households. Be gone. Bring your youngest brother unto me, then shall I know that you are no spies, that you are true men. So will I deliver you and your brother, and you shall traffic in the land. In other words, do business in the land. And it came to pass as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's money, bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not. Simeon is not. You will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Reuben spake unto his father, say, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. He said, My son shall not go down with you. His brother is dead. He is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which you go, shall bring my, but down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Wow. So, who says the Bible's not interesting? <laughs> so, all right. In our last study, we saw there that how the sons had left Egypt after Joseph, who had who they only saw as the lord of the country. That's how they identified him. And he had their sacks loaded up with corn, and he also had the bundles of money that they brought put in the sacks. We saw how Joseph even gave them extra food for them, as I pointed out, for them and their animals for the trip home. It just shows this heart of kindness that Joseph has for them, all the while while he's being rough with them. 
which showed that Joseph didn't want to crush them. He wanted to bring them to repentance. He wanted to heal them. He wanted to help them. And so Joseph is doing that because he loves his brothers. And we saw this little comment in verse 24, just three words where it says about Joseph that he communed with them. It shows he misses them. He wants to have fellowship with them. And so he has to show them this tough love for his brothers. So like I say, he gives them this extra feed for their trip. They had their money restored for two reasons. One, Joseph did want to be rough on it. He didn't want to torment them with the money that they received back unfairly because they received the money. Because what happened is that the Ishmaelites had received the money also. So he wanted them to, and that was unfairly because he never should have been sold as a slave. But he also knew that the money came from his father and he just couldn't bring himself to take money from his father. So anyway, then the brothers, they arrive at the inn and even though they had feed for the animals for the trip, one of the brothers decides to get into the large bag of corn to feed his donkey. You know, we look at that and say, what? A Jewish person not following the rules? <laughs> that can't be. <laughs> anyway, that's what happened. So he finds this bundle of money there in the sack. And when he tells his brother he found it, it says in verse 28, their heart failed them and they were afraid. Literally in the Hebrew, it reads their heart. When it says their heart failed them, it says their heart went out of them. It's like their heart went in front of them. In other words, they were ready to faint. <laughs> and it says then they were afraid. And literally the Hebrew word is there, they trembled with fear. They were shaking. And then they asked the question at the end of verse 28, what has God done unto us? Now, at this point, they feel like they're really deserving what's happening to them. It's coming from God, who they've been running away from all these decades, 20, over 20 years. And they're no longer now seeing any second causes in what's happening. And they just see God. And they're starting to see their lives like God has a big spotlight on them. And they're thinking the worst because after the way that the Egyptians had treated them, they couldn't understand how any Egyptian would have put their money back. So they're convinced that God put the money back to bring them into a condemnation with the Egyptians. And, and, and that's good. That's real good. When they're coming to this place where they're saying, what is this that God had done it to us? That's real good. That's real important for us to see that they did not say, what is this that some Egyptian did to us? You know, they didn't say, what is this that the devil did to me? You know, they said, what is this that God has done to me? And seeing the brothers here ask that question, what is this that God has done to me? That illustrates, done it to us, that illustrates for us how we should respond when terrible things happen. You know, not, not with the, what has this or that person done to me? Or what has the devil done to me? But what has God done to me? So their question shows that no matter what an Egyptian might have done to them, they saw beyond the Egyptian and they saw the hand of God. Now when they were back in Egypt, they thought about Joseph. Because it says in verse 21 that they said, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. Now the question is, here they are at the end. Do they now think about Joseph? Do they now think about Joseph as they move down the same road that Joseph was forced to move on as a slave? 
Do they think about those Ishmaelites who probably stopped at the same inn? Do they think of how those Ishmaelites at the inn might have discussed the money that they had spent to buy Joseph? And now they're discussing the money that they found at the same inn. Of course, you know, Joseph didn't know that they were going to find this at the inn, but they are now so paralyzed with fear that they don't do the logical thing at this point. That's what happens paralyzed when you get so afraid. Don't do the logical thing. What would have been the logical thing for them to have done at this point after one of them finds the money in the sack? Maybe. <laughs> How about another logical thing? <laughs> oh, okay, okay, of course. <laughs> but let me rephrase it. Here's one out of the brothers that finds money in his sack. What was the logical thing to do? <laughs> That's right. Look in the other sacks. Oh, found money in my sack. Wonder if there's money in my sack. That's the logical thing to do. You know, they should have put on their Sherlock Holmes hat at this point and said, hey, that's funny. Hmm, let's investigate and see if the money is in all of our bags of corn. But they're so terrified at seeing this one bundle of money. No one else looks in the sack for his money there. It shows the state they're in right now. They're so terrified, they're running scared that all they can think of is, I don't need any more bad news right now. <laughs> Let's just assume it was just an oversight of one sack and we won't look in the rest of the sacks, right? And they all agree, you know, because we got to get home before something more terrible happens to us. You ever felt that way? I mean, but have you ever felt catastrophe fatigued? You know, <laughs> and we talk about that at the hospital. All these alarms are going off in the hospital, and you know we go to investigate. How come you didn't go and check the alarm on that patient? Because the nurses are alarm fatigued. <laughs> There's alarms going off everywhere. You know. Anyway, they're catastrophe of fatigued. Like you just can't cope with another catastrophe. Like you just don't want to find another problem, so you're not going to go looking for it. That's how they felt because they weren't checking their bags. Now. We follow them now as they finally make it home and hope that they can somehow put this terrible trip to Egypt behind them. You know, the sooner they can forget about this, the better. So they arrive home, and of course, who's right out there (laughs) ready to meet them? You know, he's like the father of the prodigal son, is Jacob. He's right there as the first one they encounter when it says in verse 29, and they came unto Jacob, their father. That's what it says. That's how them coming home was... He's right there. And of course, Jacob's first question is going to be, well, boys, what happened in Egypt? You know, tell me about what happened. And oh, by the way, I don't see Simeon. What did he uh, stop for gas or something anyway? (laughs) What, what, What happened to him? So at this point, we can imagine the sons at this point, they might have said something like, Dad, sit down. (laughs) Because um, we got quite a story to tell you about what happened. Now, We know that they didn't leave to chance what they were going to tell their father, not these, not these brothers. So, so the, so the subject of their conversation all the way back, especially from the inn back home was a rehearsal of a script, you know, that they carefully had come up with and that there should be no slip ups. So just like they rehearsed, remember with that servant, who brought the bloody coat back to Joseph's bloody coat back to Jacob. 
you know, they rehearsed exactly, you know, you say that we found this coat, this bloody coat, and we don't know what it is, so you identify, remember? So just like they rehearsed that with the servant, now they're rehearsing with each other what they're going to tell Jacob happened in, in Egypt. So they have their story now. It's all very well rehearsed, and we can imagine that when one spoke, you know, that Jacob moves his eyes across all of them, and they're all going, that's right. Just that's exactly what happened, you know. And so the sons had gone through the what are we going to tell dad when we get home routine and how are we going to explain to dad all that happened in Egypt and when we talk to dad, what spin are we going to put on this of what happened in, in, in Egypt? What interpretation are we going to give dad for all that happened in Egypt? I mean, when you look at what they said in the first part of verse 21... And the last part of verse 28, what did they really believe happened to them in Egypt? What's the real explanation of what happened to them that they admitted to each other? What was it? That they were guilty. That they were guilty. God was requiring the blood of Joseph. And also that, um, what is this that God has done to us? That's the real explanation. That's the real interpretation now, could they tell dad, oh, let me ask you this, could they, could, could they go home and say, well, you see, dad, uh, we are verily guilty concerning our brother Joseph because we saw the anguish of his soul and we wouldn't hear him. And, and in Egypt, well, God just caught up with us and he made us reap what we sowed. Actually, in Egypt, Reuben really got it right when he said that Joseph's blood was uh, required of it. So that's it. That's what happened in Egypt. So let's have lunch. <laughs> could they do that? <laughs> no. No way. No way. <laughs> okay. So that's not an option. Forget about it. That's not an option for them to tell Jacob any of that. So if they couldn't give any of the true explanations for what happened in Egypt, then the question is, what could they really say about what happened? It's a real dilemma for the brothers. And so they all agree that they would explain to dad that what happened in Egypt was one word. And they use this word in verse 29, this one word. The one word they're using here in verse 29 is the spin, it's the interpretation, it's the explanation, and it's going to be the theme of the explanation for what happened in Egypt. It's beautiful. They think it's beautiful because <laughs> if they could really press this word into Jacob, this one word in verse 29, they'd be off the hook. They'd be off the hook. So what's the word? What's the one word in verse 29 that... Befell. You said befell. Befell. And that's it. Befell. In verse 29. Told him all that befell unto them. Befell is the word that tells us how the spin they put in, the explanation. They said, befell. It's the word that it tells us that they told their father that, you know what happened? All those events, it just fell out of the sky to us. You know, he explained it like this. Look, Dad, there was this first event. You know, and whoa, it just came right out of the sky. And then there was a second event and the third event. They just all fell to us. And it's just a lot of events that fell to us. It was unbelievable down there. Just a lot of misfortune and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was just a matter of chance. I mean, all those experiences down there, Dad, they were like hailstones falling out of the sky. They just kept falling on us. No rhyme, no reason. Things just happened to us there. Now, the truth is, they knew there was rhyme and reason 
to what happened to them because they knew they were the judgments of God, but they couldn't tell dad that. So they, they put this, this fell spin on it all, on all the events. And then they described this terrible man down there. Oh, was he something in verse 30. The man who is the Lord of the land, he spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. Now they put all the blame on this man who is the Lord of the land as if to say, Dad, we were really unfairly beat up by this man. And now you need to show your sons a little loving comfort because they've really been abused down there in Egypt. Very anti-Semitic place. Not a good place for Jews to be at all in Egypt. Now, that man was Joseph. (laughs) They don't know that. But they call him the Lord of the land. And they said it was so unfair and unkind of this man to speak so roughly with them and to falsely accuse them of being spies. And then they said, as Don, you were, you know, you couldn't read it. They said this astounding statement in verse 31. We said unto him, we are true men. You know, true men, no spies. They tell their father they were true men. And here they are knowing what happened to them was because God was judging them. They were really guilty concerning their brother. They're telling their father everything that happened. And they're telling them they're true men. They're saying, we don't tell lies. We don't, <laughs> that's what they're saying. We don't tell lies. As a, as a matter of fact, that when they said this, it's kind of interesting. As a matter of fact, when they said this, they were not being true men when they were telling Jacob that they were true men. You know, just like the few of the little kids that came into the CEF booth, and I asked them, I said, have you ever lied? And, they, and, and, and a few of the kids said, no, we never lied. <laughs> I said, you just lied. <laughs> I just asked you if you lied. Now you just lied. And so it's astounding to see these brothers tell their father that they're true men when they've been deceiving their father for over 20 years about this wild beast that never existed that killed his favorite son. And what was really killed was a kid, a goat, to get the blood to put it in the Joseph's coat. So for over 20 years... They've upheld this lie while their father's been grieving for Joseph. And now they stand before him and say, we are true men. That's quite a scene. That's quite a scene for us. It's an illustration for us of the depravity of the human heart. Not just their heart, our heart. As the statement is blanket in Jeremiah 17, 9, when it says, the heart, not their heart, but the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That's Jeremiah 17, 9. That's a description of our heart. Now, now they go on to explain to their father what they told the man. They said, we be, verse 32, we be 12 brethren, sons of our father. One is not. The younger is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Now, notice here how they explain to Jacob about what they told. And it's the same thing, really, that they told to uh, Joseph, who they didn't recognize Joseph, and they said when they were down there, and also it's very similar when they said we are verily guilty concerning our brother. You know what's in common of all this? One is not guilty concerning our brother. One is not, you know, conspicuously absent from what they said. The name of Joseph. They don't say the name Joseph. They can't say the name Joseph. They cannot bring themselves to say the name Joseph. They're just tormented by the very name of Joseph. And that's why they're not saying his name. You know, kind of similar in Jewish homes how you can't say the name Jesus. 
You can refer to him, and they have many ways to refer to him, but uh, they don't say the name Jesus. Now, they go on to explain to Jacob what the man told them in Egypt when it says, the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, verse 33, verse 33, the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, hereby shall I know that you be true man. Leave one of your brethren here with me and take food for the family or households and be gone. Now, that's an interesting rendition of what they were told in Egypt. Sort of sounds a little true about what happened there, but there's just one important detail that they left out. Now, they told Jacob that the Lord of the country said, leave one of your brethren here with me. But what did they not tell Jacob? In verse 33, they're explaining what the man, which is Joseph, but they don't know, the man told them down in Egypt, and he says, leave one of your brethren here with me. And now they leave out a little detail. He's in jail. (laughs) He's in prison. (laughs) They didn't tell dad that he really said, in verse 19, if you look at that, verse 19, if you be true man, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison and then go home. So the Lord of the country said that Simeon should be imprisoned in the house of your prison. You know, that same terrible prison that you were in for three days. They just kind of left that part out. Sort of a selective deletion there. They neglected to tell Jacob that they had just spent three of the most terrible days of their lives in a prison, and that's where Simeon was. And so what they did tell dad was just the last part of what the Lord of the country said, take food for your family, for your household, so... See, Dad, it's not so bad. You know, there's a nice side to this man. So what they're doing is they're telling the truth, but they're not telling the whole truth part. And so they're being very selective here. And I'm sure glad we never do that. So, you know, that's all settled. Yeah. But what's really important here is the picture that they're painting here. Now, they went on to tell Jacob what the man said to them in verse 34. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then shall I know that you are no spies and you are true men. So will I deliver your brother and you shall traffic the land. So now they just finished their report of everything that befell them. You know, where there's no rhyme or reason. And, And there's one important detail. They finished now their report of everything that happened, right? But there's just one little important detail, another one, that they just omitted in their report to dad. What was it? What was the really important detail, another detail, that they just omitted telling dad about. Yeah, that's right. That they found the money in the sack. I mean, I think that was a pretty important detail, don't you? That says their heart was in front of them. They were trembling over that. But that was an important detail that they got the money back. At least one of them got the money back from their corn. They didn't tell dad that. I wonder why. I wonder why they didn't tell him that. Because what they're trying to do here is to control dad's feelings, dad's emotions. And that would only really disturb dad because there's no need to tell dad this at this point because maybe it was just a simple oversight. Right, guys? Yes, we all agree. Okay. So let's just move on and not complicate the matters with just that little history of finding the money in the sack because right now they're in control dad overload mode right now and they need for him to release Benjamin. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages 
can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.